everybody. Welcome to Defy Convention. I'm Emily Lonegro, founder and owner of Lime Red. This podcast features our friends and clients who break boundaries, challenge the status quo, take risks, and make big change. Lime Red is a 16-year-old design agency that's a B Corp and has always been committed to social justice and impact since day one. This podcast is an incarnation of our BC, that's before coronavirus, in-person series dedicated to the same ideas of breaking boundaries and defying convention. Recently, when we talked to people about what they wanted in a podcast series, everyone said, we want to talk about mental health, boundaries, justice, and momentum. These ideas matter no matter who you are, and we need to talk about them right now. Let's get started. defined convention they just have they from the very beginning I feel like that's part of their DNA but still like there is a, a there is a system of Chicago theater there is a ex- accepted sort of hierarchy in Chicago theater there are players that are seated and will probably be there for a long time like there are there are things that are accepted there is a status quo tell us a little bit about what you see and what you're doing to change that just for listeners and viewers who may not know who Free Street is, mm-hmm. um, so for 51 years, um, we've been creating theater by, for, about, in, and with members of communities across Chicago. And uh, we not only present work to the public through devised work, meaning that we go out into the community and work together to develop pieces that really are responsive to the issues and experiences of those communities in real time. Uh, But we also build capacity for our communities uh, by providing training and writing, performing, story gathering, research, and facilitation. So um, we have multi-generational collectives. We have two youth ensembles, both at our Pulaski Park location and at the storyfront in back of the yards. Um, And so, um, and and then we also have an in-house program, which um, lifts the work of largely Black and Latinx voices. We are often not seen as a professional theater company. Um, in part, you know, we often, we don't, we defy a convention, if you will, by not announcing a formal uh, season. So you won't get that, um, you know, that shiny, glossy, you know, trifold with, you know, the three or four shows that are scheduled for the whole year and who might be attached to those projects. Um, our, we don't necessarily always have a cast that is fully seasoned performers. Um, so to that end, we'll have, we will have those, but also interwoven in there will be members from the community who have met with us in a workshop, um, that say, you know what, I want to be more involved. Um, often in our communities that we, that, that we engage with, which are largely on Chicago South and West sides, those are, you know, and the data shows this, that those are the communities that often don't have access to experiencing theater, not only as an audience member, 
but as a performer, a maker, designer, or any of that. So um, when we are in those communities, it's not just to kind of harvest a story and then go and create our own dramatization of what their experience is like. We really want to make sure that you know we have credible messengers and that the piece is a credible messenger to in response to the issues in which we're talking about so we get dinged on that by you know by by critics and you know who are critics you know um yes we do need to have folks that can amplify the work and that can talk about um, how they see things through their lenses, but most of those lenses are skewed to a very um, antiquated and um, traditional way of thinking about what theater is. Mm -hmm. So I would say to that end, those are just kind of a few ways that I say we defy convention. And I would also say that we are, um, you know, I, I've often heard us be referred to as first responders to uh, things that are happening uh, in our um, in our communities, and so um, as we saw uh, so many uprisings and and um, protests and movement work happening in um, in the wake of the George Floyd murders, for example, um, we immediately were talking about okay, so what can we do right now? you know, yeah. within our capacity, within our resources, within our list of, you know, talented, wonderful artists, how, how can we be responsive to this beyond a statement? Because we did a statement, yeah. um, but um, it, it is, the statement is worthless if you're not actually pairing that up with some meaningful action. I sit on a lot of round tables of artistic leaders and theater leaders and um, this has certainly not been easy for the sector. I mean the sector has taken a hit um, but the thing that I had the thing that I've been hearing so much about was well here's all the things we can't do can't do can't do can't do and um, of course I don't sit on staff at those you know with those organizations um, nor do I engage with their boards and, and I know that when you when you do go by a traditional season certain monies and things don't come through but um, the thing that we kept talking about is what can we do yeah. and so even though we can't um, have access to our Pulaski Park uh, location currently because we're beholden to how the Chicago Park District operates um, we have the story front back of the yards yeah. and so um, we decided to um, be in direct service to the community we can't certainly do artistic programs but we can certainly be in direct service so we had um, so this Saturday we're actually going to have our first um, storyfront pantry so we're bagging up non-perishable groceries hygiene products and arts supplies for young people because as we know i mean camps are also incredibly limited so how do we keep young people active how do we keep families fed how do we um, have the proper hygiene products and safety products that our families need particularly 
in that community, in, a, in the back of the yards community in the southwest side, where we're seeing the COVID numbers um, really be very saturated. So um, it is being keenly attuned to um, to what is going on around us, and, and I think that's the beauty of Free Street is that you know we really take the moment to take in all the things and that can be incredibly overwhelming and saying you know what can we do within our space because you know i think often people want to do it all and we can't do it all um but here are the two or three ways that we can do this right now and we can plan other things for the future to just continue to pave that way the story behind storyfront is so interesting to me because like you were talking about theater and the city and that you serve primarily the south and west sides and there's almost zero right theater presence in those neighborhoods at all yeah. i mean if it's not zero it's really small and i don't know for sure but storyfront is i mean i've seen shows there it's fantastic it can you just tell everybody what storyfront is and just give a little bit of background and how that became part of free street yeah, so the storyfront is a former uh, air conditioning repair shop, uh, store, yeah, storefront uh, place um, near 43rd and Ashland in the back of the yards community. And uh, Ricky Gamboa, uh, who wrote Meet Juanito Do, um, was looking for a space to produce this show. Um, he could have, they could have easily um, done this performance at our Pulaski Park space, but um, their intention was for this play that was about Mexicans and Mexican Americans on Chicago South Side really be um, experienced and seen. Uh, by Mexican and Mexican immigrant communities on Chicago Southwest side. Mm -hmm. And so, and there were few to no venues. And so, um, yeah. you know, utilizing community connections, we found this space um, in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and most, if not all of the artists, actors, and storytellers, most of them, novice performers all had shared roots growing up in Mexican and Mexican immigrant communities on the, on the Southwest side. Uh, we used designers and laborers from back of the yards and the production team really transformed this former AC um, repair shop into a 40 seat venue for the play, which sold out its entire 10 week run, including two extensions and a remount the following year. And each and every one of those shows were completely sold out. And the majority of our audience members there came from the South Side and they were from predominantly Mexican neighborhoods. And so, you know, what emerged from that success beyond question was this desire and demand for performance opportunities in back of the yards where virtually none exist. So um, currently we have two programs there. Uh, a youth ensemble. Um, they're currently uh, researching and uh, creating um, a performance called Essential, okay. which is focused oh, on really? essential uh, workers, many of which come from back of the yards. We also have a um, group 
uh, a, sto- a, gr- a storytelling group uh, called Hood Moms. And those are all moms from back of the yards that started um, as a cohort that was learning how to do storytelling. And then from that, um, the first cohort then learned how to facilitate groups. So at capacity, we had about 30, maybe 30, 40 um, mothers that um, came together to share their stories and experiences about being um, a mother in back of the yards and in all of its facets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're really excited um, to then now kind of, um, now that we have that space, um, to really transform it into not just a theater space, but also um, a, a, a space that can be activated for what the community needs. So like thinking about your path to getting here um, and thinking about, you know, where Free Street is now and, and the vision for Free Street, you know, Carla is her own entity and has her own sort of brand and vision for her career and life. And then Free Street has its own thing that keeps sort of getting reimagined. Like full disclosure, we did the branding at Free Street. Um, that's how I met you. Um, but you know, how, how do you see those, those brands lining up? Like what's the through line from you, Free Street, and in, in where you want to take this? And I mean, just consider the circumstance of where we are. I mean, the topics that you've been covering at Free Street and in your career are, have never been at, more at the forefront of, the, of a national conversation, especially in Chicago, where it's always been a conversation, but now even more so, you know, how do you unite all of these things? Like, where are you going personally and professionally? You know, I always said that um, coming to Free Street as ED was a homecoming of sorts. Um, because um, although I worked for organizations that, um, whose causes I cared for very much, um, I was still very much not, I was very much a fish out of water in those spaces. I was always kind of an oddball on the fringe. Um, And, and, and always, um, you know, always with, with, with my, with my side hustle and now like my side hustle and my, you know, and, and, and my, the, my nonprofit know-how are now kind of coming together. Uh, And, and what a better place to be able to take all of those skills that I have amassed over the years um, and bring them to um, bring them to Free Street to, um, you know, I'm not here to kind of elevate the work, right? Because the work is so good. Mm -hmm. I'm here to be the, the organization's biggest cheerleader and connector. Um, you know, and so, you know, for me, I have sat at so many tables, both locally and nationally, and there's so much talk about the work, mm-hmm. but ain't nobody doing the work. I think Free Street, um, not only through its artistic work, but even um, through our For Hire Wing Free Street Talks, mm-hmm. um, where we take our devising process um, and the, the, the notion of having um, t- 
tough, difficult conversations or wrestling with difficult topics and issues and actually putting it in a custom format that allows organizations and companies to have conversations with joy and generosity. I've been trying to, um, you know, reprogram um, for myself in terms of like, what are our expectations of performance? Yeah. And I, by that, I mean outputs, like work outputs. And, and, you know, because we should not be holding ourselves to the same output standards that, um, that were pre-COVID, because even those pre-COVID output standards were, you know, weren't necessarily... They were insane. Yes. Yes. And not sustainable. And just no. been blown wide open of how unsustainable and unhealthy a lot mm-hmm. of that was like I was if I wasn't at work I was thinking about work and now I can maybe operate at a some days 10% some days 70 but I'm never at 100 and what is 100 like I'm just trying to think of you know was I even really operating was I even really even living before I, I don't even know and I don't really want to go back to that anyway like I, I just feel like there's so much more to life than than my job and the hustle. Like I have a hundred percent given up on that because it just doesn't seem like it's, it's a lot of energy for not a lot of return. And even then it just doesn't feel good. And so how are you keeping yourself sane? How, what are you doing for your own mental health and your families? And because you know, the work you're doing is critical and important and, but again, like we can't operate like we were before. How are you? How are you functioning? Couple things. There are few. There are few things. Um, one is um, Free Street is a very. Um, it is the most different place that I have ever worked in my life. In the sense that it is truly there is truly a human centered approach to how we operate as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I will be the first to say, like, I started as ZD in October of 2019. And, you know, we had a run of a show, we had the holidays. And then in January, we had, we had this beautiful little mini retreat where we had all our plans for 2020. We were gearing up for a, you know, for, for, for so many things, right? Um, And, you know, um, and, and there were so many unknowns once, you know, shelter in place started and, you know, we intentionally weave in recognition of mourning all that we kind of dreamt up Wow. You know, where, you know, not everything was canceled. Some, we had to majorly pivot our youth work, we knew, I think we all were in the same boat saying, you know, there, there are people we cannot fail and there are people who have put a lot of time into the work. So how do we best honor that? But also how do we best honor ourselves? I didn't, you know, I, I've had very um, male centric, um, you know, uh, patriarchal um, examples of what leadership is. 
And part of that is, you know, not letting anybody see you sweat, not letting anybody see you cry. The to- I, I call it the toxic masculinity of leadership, you know? Yeah, um, and so I very much wanted to be, you know, like that person, but also like, what the fuck did I know? Like, I didn't know. And like, nobody knows anything about leading during a pandemic. And I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to figure shit out in ways like how, and, um, you know, um, we are allowed to be people before we are allowed to move into our positions and do the work of the work. And um, that was a huge lesson for me. Um, And not that there aren't deadlines and not that there aren't things that need to move along, but it is um, about saying, you know, we need to have a moment of recognition that we are not in normal times. And how are we communicating that? externally so that we are continuing to keep maintaining our relationships and we are continuing to um, be rooted in our work but um, but also recognizing these very real new variables you know I am a mom Um, my husband is an essential worker Uh, I would my my daughter you know went through the you know last half of her second grade you know, um, on top of that, we had this, you know, the CTU strike, which we were very supportive of and, you know, and, 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 you know, all of the things, right. And so, um, I, I fell into just a bit of a depression where I just kind of was laying in bed going, I don't even know where to, where you start with this. Right. I was and, there. Uh, I was there last week. Like it doesn't go away. You just at every no. day it's like a no, a fresh hell. And trying to figure out how to how to keep going is is really hard. Like I love this idea of just letting yourself mourn um, the loss of re- the, what what things were. And I'm happy to say goodbye to a lot of that. But yeah, it, I mean, having a relationship in this time or figuring out how to be a parent or how, what does my business do or what is this theater? How do we keep our connection and keep our, it's just all up for grabs. Like I really value leaders like you who can come to that honestly, have a human conversation. I think a lot of times what we're looking for is just to say for the leaders to just recognize, like, we don't know. <laughs> no one knows. I'll do the best I can. I'd like to have a conversation. I'll probably cry. Um, whatever we do, we do together, you know, and to strip away some of that, just like that, that massaged corporate language, that marketing talk and just get rid of it forever because it wasn't serving us before. And there's like, we want to hear the human, we want to hear you behind the stories or, or the people who live in the neighborhoods behind the plays. And I had to really interrogate um, what I deemed was weakness you know, and (laughs) like crying, you know, Um, but, you know, when I would talk to um, my team, you know, members of my team and, you know, you know, say, you know, I have a hard time showing weakness and then, you know, them saying right back to me, but that's not weakness, you know? And so there are just, there are things that I have really truly had to reprogram of myself um, in those ways um, I've also 
moved into, um, I, I now go to therapy. Um, that is a thing that I've started. Right. It is something that I think I've always wanted to do in, in part, um, you know, I became, this is, this is going to be real. Like this is a sidebar. <laughs> I, became, I became a Reiki practitioner really? uh, years ago. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a certified Reiki master teacher. Um, and part of the reason why I moved into um, that space um, was to break cycles. And um, within our family, you know, I have, you know, wonderful relationships with the family members that I'm very close with. But, you know, there's still things that you inherit from, from, um, from the dysfunctions of family members past, right? And after having my daughter, I knew that there were, that there were things that I did not want to pass on to her. And I also believe in that, that, that we all carry an energy that pushes us and pulls us and moves us through and operates through the world. And so, um, so Reiki was kind of the beginning of my own exploration in functioning differently mm -hmm. and functioning more intentionally. Um, and therapy for me was just now kind of taking some of those things and pulling them apart and, really um, taking myself to task on reprogramming my own opinion of myself. I'm still very um, heavily locked down in a lot of ways um, in terms of social distancing. So um, I have not interacted personally with a lot of folks, mm -hmm. um, you know, which as somebody who is a social being and whose favorite thing is to be at a table with 20 other people with too much wine and too much yes. food and all of the laughter, right? Yes. Uh, all the gregariousness, gregariousness, sorry. Um, this has really hurt me in that way, like this whole pandemic, because I am a social being. I love hugs. I love being just in the thick of it, you know, and, um, and, and so that has been a challenge for me, but I am beginning to find ways to, um, to try to incorporate that. I think like it's a, it's a time to look inward and to really unpack some of these stories that you've told yourself. I've figured out a lot of stuff in the last few months of, you know, who I want to be and where I want to go and what's real and maybe what isn't as real as I thought it was. But I just would love, you know, to build on your story and the story of Free Street. Like, can you impart any kind of advice or wisdom or just maybe a closing thought to our audience? This work is never done. We as a society have been so accustomed to immediate gratification and to getting things now and to... Um, to having, having things happen now, to having that email responded to within 10 seconds of receiving it, to, to not being patient enough for the fruit to bear. Yeah. You know, I think, um, uh, and, and, you know, I think, and to stop and to unplug and yeah. to, you know, really put your hands in the land and, and feel whatever you can that is real. And I think, um, you know, 
um, we need to unplug. I think Zoom fatigue is a very real thing. You know, we cannot uh, expect production at the same pre-COVID levels, which were already astronomically ridiculous in terms of the standard. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to listen. We need to listen to the land, listen to the people. You know, we are in the middle of an uprising. You know, we are, and we're seeing from a policy standpoint, a lot of not listening to the land. Yes. One of the things, one of the kind of things that I would like to see in an, ide in an ideal world is that artists are at every single table when it comes to policy, urban planning, and, you know, and the like, because not only do we have the pulse of the people, but it is often us that is lost in the shuffle when we're talking about everything from, you know, um, buildings to, to COVID relief, right? <laughs> and um, so, but listen to the land so that you know how to make the adjustments. Um, and I would say, um, sit in that space and, um, and that the answers aren't always going to be immediate. And you are also not necessarily the one to answer all of those questions. I mean, I have found a huge need to rely on my networks in ways that, um, I hadn't in the past and often people that I had not connected with in a really long time. Um, and, and, um, and so with that, um, you know, gardening is a great metaphor for that. It really is like to think about, like I have a vegetable garden and the cherry tomato that I ate in two seconds took months to grow. And to think about like how much energy and water and sun and thought and weeding and, to, to, to make that one thing like that wasn't an instant like the it the the journey wasn't for it to just be eaten in that instant that wasn't its the whole existence and to think about that um it's a different way of thinking and i am a big fan carla i just wanted i just want to say thanks again for joining us for this it's been so great to just even get to know you even more um i felt like i kind of knew you before but now i feel like i learned a lot of things about your background and, and just, I feel good that you're one of our leaders in our city and doing the work that needs to get done. Everybody who's listening, thank you for listening. I hope you learned a lot and we'll talk to you next time for our next Sifai convention. Thanks everybody. Thanks for having me. Bye.